They each secured legal counsel in an attempt to resolve the property line dispute. One family had spent about $9,000 on legal fees, and the other family had spent around $2,000. Part of their legal counsel's advice to each of them was to not talk to the other party. They had been neighbors for nine years in a semi-rural part of town. They had socialized, had barbecues together, and each family had a child about the same age who had grown up with each other. Their respective attorneys exchanged correspondence citing aspects of the law they believed reflected their clients' rights. The correspondence escalated to threats of legal action, which resulted in both families becoming extremely distraught, anxious, and angry about what they believed the other family was trying to do to them. When the dispute escalated to the point where one neighbor was threatening the other with a backhoe, the children were told not to associate with each other. If it weren't for the fact that the children were best friends, the neighbors might have never tried mediation. That the adult dispute was affecting two 10-year-olds' friendship was a wake-up call, so they decided to give mediation a try. When the mediation appointment arrived, they decided to come without their attorneys, although they were advised against this by the attorneys. Once in the mediation, the mediators helped the neighbors establish respectful communication guidelines. Then each person described their point of view of the problem, where things had broken down from their perspective and what they each needed now. This part of the process took over an hour, and as each person was explaining their perspective, new pieces of the puzzle were revealed. The picture of the problem, as they each understood it through their attorney's communication, changed significantly. When they started asking each other questions, they realized that the other's intentions were not malicious and, in fact, were quite understandable, given their interests and their needs. They pulled out a lot map of their properties and started poring over all the possible alternative scenarios that might address each of their interests. They completed the mediation with an agreement, amazed at what had just taken place. Not only did they have a resolution about the property line issue, they also agreed on how they would describe the mediation process to their children. They all wanted their children to learn as much as they had about as much as they had about the process of problem solving through dialogue and negotiation. They all expressed great relief about the tension they felt dissipating through the mediation process. Disputes need not be about winning. When different views of a situation bring people into conflict, process such as mediation are about respectful communication, fair and responsible reconciliation, and restoring relationships. It is not whether you have conflict in your life, it's what you do with that conflict that makes a difference. 
And that's true. What you do with conflict makes a difference. And these two families, don't know who they are, decided to seek to resolve their differences by getting a mediator. That was very wise on their part. As I read this article, I thought about humanity's relationship with God. Is there a conflict between humanity and God, generally speaking? Is there a conflict between human beings and man? If so, is there a need for a mediator? It's interesting to know that in the Old Testament, the word mediator is mentioned one time. It's in the book of Job. And I'm going to read it for you. I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. If you're not familiar with a man named Job, he is a man who was righteous before God. And God gave permission to Satan to take away his health, his children, and all of his possessions in one day. And Job obviously wasn't too pleased about that. And he wanted to take God to court because he didn't think that God was fair in dealing with him as a righteous individual. And in that day, you were viewed as, if someone saw you suffering, it must have been because of some evil that you have done. And Job's three friends obviously pointed that out to him. And so he wanted to go to court with God. And he says this in Job 9.32 and 33. He says, for he, Job is speaking, for he, God, is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we, may, that we should go to court together. Nor, he says, is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Job is, in his complaint, wishes that there was a mediator between him and God so he could go to court and make his case. That's what he's suggesting. And what this text implies is that there is a need for a mediator between human beings and God. Very important. God feels it's important or else it wouldn't be in his word, his revelation to mankind. So what do we mean when we talk about a mediator? What is a mediator? In today's uh, parlance, the word mediator may be misleading. For the role of today's mediator is to affect the reconciliation of two conflicting parties by means of compromise. Usually when you are in a conflict with someone and you get a mediator, both sides are going to have to give up something, right? That's what a compromise is. You're going to give up something. How much you give up is the question, right? The biblical idea of mediator is really more closely identified with that of an intermediary. Understood this way, God does not compromise his holiness. But rather, with his holiness intact, he communicates through his intermediaries his righteous demands. And this is what we're going to see in today's passage in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 25. We're going to see that there's going to be a mediator between God and man, and God is holy. We talk about we want to go to heaven, we want to be in heaven, but what is heaven? Heaven is the abode of God, and God is holy. So not just anyone can go to heaven and be in his presence and not have some kind of impact or effect on a person. 
We see that in Exodus chapter 19 because this holy God is going to leave his abode of home and he's going to descend on a mountain to speak with his people, to establish an agreement, a covenant with these people called the Israelites. So, the question for the text is this. What is the role of a mediator between God and his people? What is the role of a mediator between God and his people? That's the question that this, is, this chapter is going to answer. Number one, the role of a mediator between God and his people involves bringing the words of God to God's people, verses 1 to 7. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, three months later, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. And so Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if, what he's about to say is conditional, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. You are going to be a crown jewel of people among all the nations in the world, you Israelites. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And so Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and he laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Here we see Moses is functioning as a mediator. One of the responsibilities of a mediator is to take the words of God and go on behalf of God and speak those words to the people. That's what a mediator will do. Okay. Now what's interesting about a mediator is in the, in the Old Testament, the mediator is seen in the function of the office of a prophet. Okay? A mediator, one of the functions of a mediator is they're a prophet. The prophet was a man who spoke for God to man by way of revelation, instruction, and warning. So for an example, in Jeremiah 1, 4-7, we read this. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, says the Lord. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart for a purpose. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. That's a prophet, and he's functioning as a mediator, speaking God's words to God's people. That's what a prophet did. Now we know in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to a letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 2.5.6, he says, he says this, uh, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. So Paul is telling us in 1 Timothy 2.5.6 that Jesus Christ is a mediator. We see this actually lived out in his earthly ministry in John 14.9 and 10. Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Whose words? The Father's words. Jesus takes the words of the Father and reveals them to the people. Not only does he speak truth, the works that he was doing is revelation of God to the people. That's the function of a prophet and is part of a responsibility of a mediator. We see that in the life of Moses. We see that ultimately fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the role of a mediator between God and his people includes bringing the words of God's people to God. Verses 8 and 9. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. We see once again, now Moses is doing the opposite. We saw him previously giving God's words to the people. Now he's going on behalf of the people to speak to God. What's the difference here? We see here that mediation in the Old Testament is also seen not, also, not, not only as a prophet, but also as a priest. See, what is a priest? The priest was a man who spoke for man to God by way of intercession and sacrifices. So for an example, in Luke 22, 31 to 32, we see Jesus. He says this, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, intercession, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We also see it's sacrificial, Hebrews 5.1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in the things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices to God. So a priest in the Old Testament times were the ones who were going on behalf of the people and they would offer up the animal sacrifices in worship to the living God. And Jesus Christ is ultimately the one who offers himself as a priest, the high priest, who sacrifices himself on behalf of human beings to God. So we see that Moses is a mediator because he brought God's words to God's people, but he was also a mediator because he, got, he brought uh, the words of God's people to God as a priest. These are the functions of a mediator. Thirdly, the role of a mediator between God and his people entails setting apart God's people so that they can approach a holy God. Very important. Verses 10 to 15. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. The word consecrate means to be set apart. You're setting them apart. They're different. Set them aside. Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Let them be clean and let them be ready for the third day. Why? For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch the person who touched the mountain, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whoever touches the mountain, when you go to execute capital punishment, don't touch the person, because then you'll be infected with their sin. That's, what, that's, the, that's the message. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. The trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. He set them apart and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. So why does he say that? Discipline. Do not give in to your, to your desires here because the Lord is now coming and you need to be holy in order for me to come where you are. But there had to be boundaries because if you got too close to a holy God, you'd be killed. Holiness of God is something that we need to take seriously. And the holiness of God, I wonder if it's a concept that's truly understood by God's people today. It's certainly not going to be understood by the people in the world. The holiness of God is serious, which is illustrated for us when he comes down to the mountain. One of the mediator's responsibility is to make sure that God's people are holy so that they can go before the presence of Almighty God. What's Jesus' role in that? Hebrews 10.10 says it this way, by that will, whose will? By God's will, we have been sanctified, we have been set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. His death is the means that makes you and me holy when we put our trust and our faith in Jesus. When you do that, you become positionally holy and allows us to go into his presence. That's what's happening. And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of his death that those who are called may receive the promises of the eternal inheritance. God makes us holy because there is a mediator. And because there was a mediator, we can enter into his presence and converse with a holy God or else we would be killed if we lived in the Old Testament time period. Fourthly, the role of a mediator between God and his people involves interceding on behalf of God's people in order to prevent them from experiencing the judgment of a holy God. Verses 16 to 25. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. 
And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Fire is an image and shows the presence of God. We saw that with Moses when he went to go individually to see what was the burning bush that wasn't consumed. So God's presence is on the mountain. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. He's going to the top of the mountain. That is beyond the boundaries that were set for everyone else. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish." Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set boundaries around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. You see, Moses is going up and down, up and down. He's doing intercessory work on behalf of the people, acting priestly and prophetically as a mediator. In this particular case, he's interceding on behalf of the people of Israel, going down, telling them, don't go past these boundaries. If you do, you're going to be judged because you're in violation of God's holiness. He's holy. Get that in your minds. That's what he's trying to tell the children of Israel. And notice that Moses does so and had the authority to do so based on the relationship that he has with God since he was the only one, along with Aaron, to go on the top of the mountain. Aaron was allowed to go on the top of the mountain because he was a high priest and is looking forward to his function as a high priest when he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to make a sacrifices for the sin of the Israelites. You're seeing here that Moses as a mediator is warning the people do not cross the boundaries. He's, his mediating work is preventing the judgment of God from being exacted on God's people. Now, how does this relate to Jesus? Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost, or completely, or at all times, those who come to who, those who come to God through him since he's always living to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ always lives. Contrary to the Old Testament sacrificial system where the priest would only serve for a certain period of time and then another priest would come in and would serve, Jesus is a high priest eternally. So he always lives to make intercession for you and for me and he does so so that we will not be killed when we go before God's presence and before his holiness. 
You say, how does that work out practically? In 1 John 2.1, it says this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Okay, but we're broken people. Just because we're redeemed and God saved us doesn't mean we're not going to sin anymore. The author of 1 John was aware of that and was concerned that those who had sinned after they got saved would become discouraged. And so he wrote this part, this wrote these verses. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, an intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What does that mean? It means that if I sin, right, I'm, I violated his holiness, and therefore I should experience God's judgment. But Jesus kicks, Jesus is an advocate, he's an intercessor, and so when we sin as believers, you know what happens? Jesus says to his father, Father, that child is mine. They put their trust in me. And so they don't have to experience the judgment because they have sinned. I've covered them with my sacrifice, with my blood on the cross. That's what's happening. So every time we fall and we get discouraged and we sin in thought or in word or in deed, Jesus is right there to go to his father and says, that's mine. That's mine. And because Jesus' sacrifice took place, those who are believers do not have to experience the judgment of God because of sin. That's what's happening here as a foreshadowing of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's what a mediator does. He ensures that the people of God don't experience the judgment of God because Jesus says, you belong to me. That's what a mediator does. That's why Jesus is called our mediator. He allows us to go before a holy God, and it keeps, his, his work keeps us from experiencing the just judgment that we deserve as sinners. So what does that mean for you and for me? There's two points. Number one, belonging to a holy God, which we do as believers, we can come with confidence before him. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In the Old Testament time, people could not just walk into the presence of God. They'd be killed. But because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, he has opened the way for you and me to pray to him. And when we pray to him, we're going into his presence, the holy of holies, if you will, and nothing happens to us because of Jesus' mediating work on our behalf. And so if you find yourself discouraged today, understand that you have a place where you can go and converse with Almighty God and just pour out your heart to him because I died for you. My blood was shed and was spilled so that I could have a relationship with you and you can come and talk to me. And yes, if you foul up, that's okay. As a believer, if you sin, it's okay because I'm gonna go to the Father on your behalf. If you don't have Jesus Christ and you don't believe in him, then who's your advocate? The dispute between you and the Father still exists. And for many, perhaps most people in our world today, that's exactly the case. And it is the church's responsibility to get involved and to do the work of God, which leads to my second point. 
Belonging to a holy God means that we ourselves have become mediators. Read what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. But you, Peter says to the church, capital C, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You are a people who are going to, you're going to go to people, you're going to go to God on behalf of people. That's what priests do. You are a holy nation. You are separate from the rest of the world. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him. Prophetic. You're speaking God's words to God's people. Proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus, the mediator, has made us mediators to the world where we have an opportunity to serve him and to make Jesus Christ the one who shed his blood for you and for me to make him known to the world around us. That's why we're still here, to serve him. And that was all made possible because of Jesus, our mediator. We don't usually think of Christianity. We think of mediation, brothers and sisters in Christ. I couldn't even call you that if it wasn't for Jesus' mediating work. What unites us as brothers and sisters, as believers, is our common faith in Jesus Christ. And amidst all of our differences, I mentioned this last week, the one that holds us together is Jesus and his mediating work. It is vital, and that's why it's in Exodus chapter 19. How does God want to use you? First, understand that you have clear path to God if you're a believer in Jesus. You pour out your heart to him. And that's comforting. Know that. Every time you pray, you have access to a place that people in Moses' day did not have access to. Only one person had that access, and that was the high priest once a year. We can do this all the time. In the shower, in your car, by yourself, corporately. It's a privilege. God made this possible. And when we know that, then we understand that we too are mediators and we have a purpose. Just like Jeremiah, I can't speak to people. It's not up to you. I will speak through you and I will use the weakest of God's people to accomplish my purposes. In fact, the weaker you are, the less, the less, capable, the, the, the less capable you think you are, the more likely and more powerful God can work through you because it's him, not us. We have a mediator Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And that needs to be proclaimed today. The blood that was shed needs to be proclaimed today because that's why we're his people. And that's why we can be rejoiceful because we belong to a holy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ that you've made it possible for us to come before you and to speak with you. It's encouraging. It gives us hope and confidence. And Lord, we know that you have given us a mission and a job to do. We are called to be mediators as a church. And help us, Lord, to hear your voice and to be faithful to what you're calling us to do, to be prophets in proclaiming your word to God's people, and to be priests by interceding on behalf of others to you. Help us to do that to be, and to be found faithful so that you may be glorified in all, in all things. For you alone are worthy of, of all praise 
and glory and honor. We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would hear our prayer and accept our sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Let's continue worshiping this morning by singing the blessing, the blessing. Would you please stand if you are able? praise Jesus Christ for he is our mediator. And may we always have that in mind that he gave himself so that we could be near him, a holy God. And may our hearts desire to want to be holy as he is holy. May his holiness rub off on you and on me and become more like him. And we pray, Lord, that the country, the society in which we live 
can continue to be free so that we can freely worship you. For you alone are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. You alone are worthy of it all. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace. Amen.